Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. It is the main responsibility for Christians, but it's also the one thing we forget about the most. Let's talk about it. Now, budgets, spreadsheets, goals, reviews, we count and track and pull literally everything, and for a good reason. I mean, numbers matter. God cares about numbers. I mean, he named a book of the Bible numbers. But sometimes we can begin to think that the numbers that really matter are the big numbers, the commas, the zeros, the hundreds and thousands, the hundreds of thousands. But if you think about it, it's really the single digits that make the difference. I mean, champions are made by the single digit. Budgets are budgeted down, balanced to a single digit. Building designs are measured down to the single digit. It's the small numbers that really make the difference. Jesus himself said that heaven roars over the number one. Just one sinner coming to know Jesus. And so for the next three weeks, we as a church, we're doing something a little bit different these next three weeks. We are focusing on your one. God has purposefully placed dozens of people in your life to introduce them to their creator It's the only reason that you're still here. You have dozens of people in your life. But for the next few weeks, we're zeroing in on one. A daily focus on one meaningful conversation. One more step of intentionality to bring them to one week in hopes that your one will be a one that heaven rejoices over. See, the truth of the matter is, is we as as a church, we want to see God move in our community like he never has before. For something to really spark on our street, our neighborhood, our schools, and the marketplace, something worth talking about for the rest of time. We're running up the score, but it starts with one. Who's your one? We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. I really encourage you to grab a Bible. We've got Bibles in the chairs. It's page 985 in those Bibles. Uh, We're going to be just, we're actually slowly going through this, this text Uh, right now. Colossians chapter 4. As you're turning there, I want to welcome those who are tuning in online. It's really cool. We've had a few different groups across the country, in fact, even outside of the country, pop up. uh, Groups that are meeting in homes, just kind of organic groups that decide we're just meeting at home and watch the bridge. We're just so glad that you can can watch with us. We'd we'd rather you be in the room with us, but we know it's not possible. And so we're glad that you can uh, join with us right now. But we're in Colossians chapter 4. Let me pray, and we'll jump into this. God, I thank you so much for your word. And God, even as we open up your word, I ask that your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. Illuminate this text to us because we need that, but also to work in our hearts. And may we not fight away or fight off conviction, but even in these next few moments, may you be bringing things to mind, that one to mind. We ask for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into Colossians chapter 4, A trumpet blast echoes off Rome's granite-clad alleyways. See, each morning at sunrise, trumpets signal the start of the Roman day to to begin. And it's hard to beat these sunrises. You have the Apennine Mountains casting a shadow over the surrounding olive orchards and vineyards. A hue from the sun escapes between the mountains, illuminating or, or casting a glow on an already impressive architecture. Families across the city wake up and gather around tables to eat salted bread and milk and the occasional dried fruit before heading into the world's most powerful and advanced economy. It's a beautiful Italian morning, the kind you just want to sit and drink in, none of which can be enjoyed or seen by Rome's most notorious. 
See, for underneath these Roman streets lies a cavern, a large dark room filled with hardened criminals. Very little light makes it through the small caged window at the, at the thick wooden door. Men down here, they stumble over each other constantly. It's not uncommon to trip over a dead body, dead from starvation or dead from disease or dead from suicide. See, it's not so much the darkness that really gets to you down here. It's the smell that pierces your senses. There's little to no drainage for the sewage. There's no ventilation. It's a dark hell known to make even the strongest of men beg for death. And it's in this crowded cavern of darkness that sits a man. He's not an intimidating criminal, though he is somewhat notorious. He's the famed Apostle Paul. His friends wrote that he was a short man, bald with crooked legs. He walks different. But he speaks and he writes with passion and eloquence. What he lacks in physical intimidation, he makes up for in, in mental strength. And right now, he sits by the window of the thick wooden door, and he tells a scribe through the cage to write these words down to his friends in Colossae. And he writes this in verse 3. He writes, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. And you would think he's talking about the old wooden door that he's talking through. Pray that God would open up this door. I want out. I haven't had any sort of quality sleep at all. The pangs of hunger are constant. Can barely breathe down here. Jerry over there doesn't use the designated bathroom corner. I don't even want to know why part of my robe is wet. No sleep. No food, no air, disgusting. I don't feel myself. I envy those who are carried out in body bags. And so church, while you gather, remember me. Pray for me because I can't take this anymore. Pray that this door would be opened because I need out. But this is not the door he's talking about. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Not what I would write. I'd be thinking freedom. I'd be thinking breakfast at a little cafe, watching the sunrise over the mountains. I feel like God's called me to there, church. That letter would be so different. Church, get me out of here. Pray for my release. Send some people. Find a sketchy defense lawyer if you have to. Bust me out. Bake a cake with a key in it or something. Just get me out of here. And this is why God did not have me write any scripture. But you just think about this. Think about the weight of this. Paul's mind is not on his current circumstances. There is nothing here about his hunger or his health or his lack of sleep. Nothing. No complaints at all. Would you, would you pray that I can introduce people to God while I'm down here? When's the last time you prayed that kind of prayer? I mean, how many of us, we're praying to get out of our prison, praying to get out of Illinois, praying to get out of Chicago, get me out of this job, get me out of this company, get me out of this neighborhood. Are we praying for the wrong things? Are we praying the wrong prayers? Because I feel like I am. I mean, I'll shoot straight with you. On a good day, I wake up in my, my comfortable bed. It's cold out. You know, I wake up, throw on my robe. Go out and I sit on my, my old leather chair and I look out my window. I just wake up, meditate, pray, and I pray over my day. 
You know, I got this meeting, God. Can, can you give me wisdom in this meeting? This decision needs to be made today. This conversation, I don't have this conversation. There's this problem that we're working through. Can you please give me wisdom, God? God, I'm about to spend the day with denim. So can you give, just give me that extra strength, you know? <laughs> can you give me wisdom with parenting my kids? These gifts that you've given me, can you give me wisdom with them? God, I want to love my wife better today than I, than I did the, the days before. Like, mainly what I do is I just I sit down and ask God for wisdom. God, can you give me? And that's good. But admittedly, and maybe you don't want to hear this from me, but I rarely ask God for opportunities to introduce anyone to him. I can't remember the last time I prayed to God, God, can you give me an opportunity today to share you, to share the hope you are? It's not even on my priority list. And here it's on the top of Paul's. See, don't miss how big this is. If you and I, if you and I were placed in this prison, we would have a million other requests. And this is Paul's. And it teaches. Number one, and these are in your notes, care, for, care about the lost. Care about the lost. See, more than an empty stomach, more than wanting freedom, more than his lack of sleep, Paul's caring for the lost here. Because Paul understands there's worse, there's something worse than being in this prison. And that's hell. And heaven forbid I spend time in this prison watching these people suffer, saying nothing, only for them to suffer even worse in the next life. See, for me this is so hard because I can, I can be so selfish. I really can be. It's kind of like... Uh, it's like my, my, uh, my, my ring doorbell. And you have a ring doorbell at all? You know what I'm talking about? Like those, those ring doorbells. I, I love them. A couple of years ago when we moved, our new house had a ring doorbell on it. And I have a love-hate relationship with my ring doorbell. I love it because it gives me alerts. And so I love that. All right, neighbor down the street's like, hey, there's like a creep on my porch last night. It's like, all right, good to know. And then I also hate it because now I'm like up the whole next night. I got to catch this creep. He's going to come to my door next. You know? so I got this love-hate relationship. And I'm already a paranoid person, so it's just not, not good for me. But... I'll often be scanning my Ring app, you know, thinking nobody's breaking into my garage. You know, uh, I don't have anything anybody would want, but still, you know, I'm just, I'm on the lookout. But every few days on, on, my, on my Ring app, my Ring app sends an alert for kidnapped kids in like the region. Not the, not the like local region, but really the whole state. It just gives us an update on these kids are, are, are missing. And it's a picture of the, ch of the children and then like a few details of what to look for. I am so quick to look at these pictures and then just put my phone down. Why? Because they're not my kids. I feel awful for them. But selfish me doesn't really affect me. There's really not much I can do. Now, if they were my kids, you'd have to sedate me. I would take a leave of absence from, from church, and I would spend everything I own scouring the planet on my hands until I found them or I died trying. Like, I would never give up or I would never give in. If those were my kids, I'm going to find them. Because I have a great emotion for my children. I lack emotion for others. God has a great emotion for his children who are missing from his family. And God has been on a mission for the lost ever since the Garden of Eden. And it cost his son his life. God won't give up or give in. See, I have great emotion for those in my home. God has an even greater emotion for those who are missing from his. And Paul has caught that. Paul knows. This isn't about like, okay, do I like this prison? 
Do I like where God has put me right now? Am I a happy person? Am I comfortable right now? None of that matters. What matters to Paul is souls are going to hell. I care about that. See, I admit, I, I'm too often annoyed at people instead of praying for people. This struck me the other day. I was in the airport. I hate airports. It, it just brings out the worst in people. There's lines and everybody's trying to get somebody somewhere, crawling all over people. And, and so I'm, I'm just annoyed. I'd been up since 2 a.m. I'd missed my connecting flight. I'm waiting in lines, you know, just like too many people. And then just hit me. How many of these people who I'm annoyed at will one day be in hell? It's possible that I might be the only child of God in this whole crowd of all these people. And all they get from the child of God is annoyance. No prayers, no blessing, no help, just annoyance. Because I don't care enough. I think that's a great question to sit in. Are you annoyed at people or are you praying for people? I fear God's people are just too busy complaining about our living conditions. Trying to get out of our prisons and meanwhile God's going, I put you there on purpose. Because those people are going to hell. And you're just sitting there annoyed at them. See, maybe it's time to focus less on our temporary circumstances and more on other people's eternal circumstances. I mean, Paul's circumstances are awful. But he knew they were just temporary. They're just temporary. And so I can care for these people. It's kind of like we, we talked a little bit about this last week. But um, two, two weeks ago, or yeah, two weeks ago, I was in, uh, I was in Honduras. And um, just beautiful, beautiful country, beautiful people, but lots of corruption, just horrible things uh, that the, the people there are going through with um, really no water. And, and, and Coca-Cola is cheaper than, than buying water. And so kids are sipping on Coca-Cola all day just to stay hydrated. And so there's health issues and, and teeth issues. It's just it's a very hard place to live. But I was there for just a few days and I was able to go into these mountain towns, uh, very, very poor and I was able to enjoy the beauty. You know, I was delivering groceries to families. And, and so I was just enjoying that time, enjoying meeting people. One woman taught me how to make tortillas, and that was fun. One woman had, a, had like a cow outside in her front yard who like, was like a dog. And you could like play with a calf like a dog. It was just so cool. So I'm like, I'm walking around just enjoying the beauty, enjoying the people, and able to invest in the people because I knew I'm flying out in three days. I'm, this is just a temporary spot. And so I can just... I can enjoy these people. I can invest in these people. I can see the beauty here because, because I'm leaving soon and I have, a, I have a better home. This is how Christians are supposed to operate as we're here in wherever God has placed us, Illinois. We are just here temporarily and so we can focus on the people and focus on the beauty. This is what is going through Paul's head. Eternal circumstances. I can focus on that because my current circumstances are just temporary. I have a home that's much better. This is the real heart check for Christians. You can call yourself a Christian all day long, but if you're a genuine believer, then our hearts are slowly becoming like that of the heart of God. We call this the process of sanctification. If you become more and more like Jesus Christ, our hearts become more and more in tune with that of the heart of God. And if our hearts are becoming like that of the heart of God, then we would have serious emotion for the lost. I don't have it as much as I should, but I also don't think I'm in the minority. So it's the thing, like we do like this campaign, you know, who's, who's your one a campaign like this? And, you know, it's just like three weeks. And so we're going to focus on the lost, you know, focus on, on your one that, that you need to uh, be more intentional with and bring them out to church. And my fear is, though, a lot of us look at this and we think, OK, well, this isn't for me. 
It's not really my thing. You know, I'm glad it's only three weeks. We can get back to doing what we normally do. Just not really me. And if that's really what's going through your head, I would challenge your heart. Maybe you need to be somebody's one then. Because maybe your heart doesn't fully surrender. God has great emotion for the lost. And if we don't feel any of that, if we struggle to really engage this, if we refuse to participate, what does that say? I fear that it shows how far our hearts have been disconnected from the Father. And it might even show that, man, the gospel really hasn't landed. Because when the gospel lands, all of a sudden you realize just how big the gospel is. A solid metric for where our hearts are at is how much do we care about the lost? And so Paul writes, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account for which I am in prison. For which I am in prison. This is often why we don't want to introduce people to, to God and, and talk about our faith because it comes with a cost. I mean, we have our excuses, right? A lot of times, you know, if we were to sit down and talk and be like, are you sharing the gospel? You'd be like, ah, no, don't really know what to say. And we're going to cover that later. Or a lot of times we'll use the excuse, you know, I don't, I don't know, I just don't want to be weird. There's enough weirdos out there, so I don't want to be weird. For me, it's often like, I don't want to be like that stereotypical pastor trying to convert everybody. Like, we all have our own excuses, but the reality is we often don't want to share Jesus Christ and the hope that we found in Jesus because it comes at a cost. If you share your faith with people, people are going to look at you different. They might not take you as seriously. Or they're, even worse, they're going to expect you to now live like a Christian. And that's a good pressure to have, but nah, we don't really want to live with that pressure. It hit me harder this summer when I, when I said goodbye to my grandma. Uh, my grandma. My grandma didn't have much of an education. She was raised in an immigrant Norwegian family, country girl, uh, worked entry-level jobs for pretty much her whole life, and um, great woman, but never really seen as like this intellectual scholar or anything like that, but always sharing her faith. To the point where as a kid, I would be like embarrassed sometimes. So I'd be like at her house, and there'd be guys, I don't know, like working on a roof or something, and they'd take a break, and she'd bring out soda, all these like rough neck guys, and there she is like shooting the breeze with them, and you know, always bringing up God, you know, how God loves you, and, and you, should, you should be connected with God's family. And so as a kid, I'm like, come on, Grandma, this is not cool. Like, I hated it. And she'd do this with everybody. And it wasn't until her funeral just kind of hit. That was the most beautiful thing she did. Because here we are thinking, you know, I don't know enough. You know, I know what to say about faith or the hope that lies within me or, or God or any of that. We have like a country bumpkin with, with very little education just telling people that God loves them and God wants them and inviting them to church. Just keeping it really simple. And it cost her. I mean, she, she had family get angry with her and she had people shut down the conversation. But she never really minded. It was just a price she was willing to pay. Because this is what matters. This is the only reason that you are here. This is the only reason that man, when, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, God didn't say, okay, cool, now you're coming to heaven with me now. No, God's like, you're here, and I have people around you. Who's your one? In Revelation 20, Jesus' best friend sees the future, and it's this, this crazy chapter in Scripture, but John sees the next life. Specifically, he's, he's seeing Judgment Day. So this day is, is yet to come, but he's looking at Judgment Day. So all the dead, everyone, is judged. And those who didn't embrace Jesus in, in Revelation 20 says they're, are swallowed up by hell. So they go where they chose, a godless reality. They didn't want God, and God says, okay, if you don't want me, then, you know, there you go. And it's this horrific scene in, in Scripture, uh, but it's in Scripture to drive us because we will be there that day and we will see people stare at their eternity and hell will open up. It will be gut-wrenching and Scripture says that believers will turn away. You can't even look at it. 
And what will go through our head? Oh, I never told them. Gosh, I wish I would have cared more. I never invited them. I was just too concerned about me. See, Paul would rather wear chains in this moment and then one day be thinking those thoughts. And that just begs the question, what about you? Are you okay feeling uncomfortable bringing up God? Are you okay putting yourself out there to invite people to church? Or is that cost keeping you from really the only reason that you're here? Look at Paul continues, he continues in verse 4. He says, I pray also that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I love this. He's like, can you also pray that I, uh, I can make this clear? This is the guy who wrote the book of Romans, by the way. This is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament scriptures. And yet you see him here. He's wrestling with something you wrestle with, that I wrestle with. It's like, ah, oh, I don't feel ready. I don't know exactly what to say. And Paul feels that too. But he's not going to let that keep him from doing what he's supposed to do, introducing people to their creator. And we know that feeling, right? I don't really know what to say here. You know, what if they ask me a question? I don't really know. Those are valid thoughts. But how often do we just leave it at that then? Okay, then I'm just not going to speak up. Or are we praying to get past that? Are we pushing through that? See, when's the last time you prayed for this? When's the last time you woke up in the morning and said, God, would you please give me an opportunity to show, show you to somebody? Would you please give me an opportunity to just introduce somebody to you? And may I, may I speak clearly? Like how different would our community look if we prayed that prayer every single morning, all of us? This whole idea of like, who's your one? I don't think this series is just for the lost. Maybe this series is the biggest growth opportunity for each of us. To change our morning prayer, to shift our focus and to reprioritize. God, can you give me an opportunity today? And may I be clear. Verse 5, Paul goes from praying. So he starts off with praying and then he starts preaching. He says this. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And this seems like such an abrupt change of subject, doesn't it? Hey, church, pray that, that I can share the gospel clearly down here while I'm in prison. Oh, by the way, be wise. It's like, did Paul have ADD? Like, squirrel! You know, it's like, what, what's going on here? This is so abrupt. I actually love the, the, the thought flow that, that Paul has here. Um, he says, I want to share the hope of Christ, and I want to share it clearly. Speaking of sharing the message of Jesus Christ, make sure you act like him. Make sure you represent him well. You be wise. Which I totally get, because to me, Nothing is more annoying than that one person, or not one person, there's that many people, but that someone who's like outspoken about their faith, but they're also like an idiot. And there's plenty of those today. Their, their relationships are out of whack because they're just like an angry person, they're a bitter person, or their marriage or their marriages are just a total mess. Their kids don't want to be around them at all. They're just critical all the time. And people look at them like, oh, if that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, no thank you. This is what Paul is getting at, and he's giving us point number two. Live wisely. So care... Care, but live wisely. Look at verse 6. In fact, I have it up here on this TV. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So this is all in the, that whole vein of, of wisdom. Seasoned with salt. Be so wise that your speech is always gracious and seasoned with salt. What does that mean, seasoned with salt? Well, seasoned with salt means someone who doesn't dilute the message of Jesus Christ. So a lot of people do that today, right? In the name of tolerance, just as a church, we're not going to talk about those things. You know, we'll make ourselves God and we'll start editing the Bible ourselves. 
Season scripture with water is really what they're doing. They're just diluting it. Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. Salt. Salt. What does that mean, salt? It's kind of like, um, okay, I am not the biggest fan of green beans, especially when people make green bean casserole. It's just disgusting. I remember potlucks growing. Any of you do like potlucks at all? At like, so I grew up in church, potlucks all the time. I just, um, it's when people from church, they get together and they, everybody brings a dish, even those who can't cook. And it's the worst idea. It's the worst idea ever. Sometimes people around here will like email us or call and be like, hey, we can, can we have a potluck? It's like, no way. It's just, it's <laughs> terrible. Like, I don't like the luck part of potluck. I mean, people talk about, you know, I've been hurt by the church. I've been food poisoned by the church. Just potlucks. We're not doing potlucks. But the most disgusting dishes come into these. I used to spy, spy them out when I was a kid. I remember hanging out at the potlucks and, and watching, like, who brought what. Because, like, mm, been in their house, so I'm not eating that jello. But there'd always, there'd, always be, there'd always be people, and they tend to be, like, older people, who'd always bring green bean casserole. And it's just torture. I hated green beans. But I like them now uh, because Nicole, in fact, we had this last night. She'll boil them, and then she'll salt them. So, like, super simple, but, like, it's really good. In fact, I'll go get second helpings of salted green beans because the salt makes the food I don't like more palatable. In fact, now I like it. This is exactly what Paul is getting at here. He's saying that's what you should be doing because people are going to look at the Bible, and they're going to go, oh, I don't like that at all because the Bible is countercultural. So people are going to look at the Bible and go, I hate that. But then they should look at your life and think, okay, well, if that's what that looks like, I can stomach that. In fact, I, I want that. Gracious, wisdom, salt. But that's a lost art form, to be salted, because most people are salty. And Paul says, I want you to be salted. And some of us would do well to memorize this verse, because this is so rare. But sometimes you see someone live this verse out, and it's, 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 it's quite beautiful. There's a few people that I know that when I think of this verse, they pop to mind. One of them is my, one of my professors. He, he's an 80-year-old guy. He's since retired, but we still stay in touch. And uh, he's, he's an old guy. And, and you know when you're old, either you turn into like this fountain of wisdom or like this nasty old person, right? Like a, a green bean casserole type of person. But, but, uh, but most people, I mean, not most, a lot of people, they age terribly. You know, they just get you know, critical and complainy. But this professor of mine, he aged so well. I, I, I still talk with him. Just salt of the earth, so gracious, so wise. He'll call me out on some stuff. I love it. Just like salted green beans, just like a good guy. Uh, him and I will disagree on some minor stuff. And we'll debate about it. And I love it when we debate. And I'll tell you what, when we do disagree, and we're like, all right, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on that. I will always walk away thinking, okay, but if, it, if that's what it looks like to think that way, Oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's worth thinking that way then because I want to end up like that. Maybe there's something to it because look at his life. This is what Paul is getting at. My mom actually is very much this way, very wise, and she can say things that people don't want to hear, but she does it in a very intriguing and gracious way, and he carries herself with class in that. See, it's such the norm today to get so caught up in like negativity, being critical, picking things apart, fight, 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 fight. I'm going to post all my opinions and as if everybody really cares about what I have to think and changing nobody's mind. Some of us are like bulls in a china shop. We're just so dogmatic in politics and opinions. You're just salty. There's another way. Salted. Living a life that people look at and go, okay, you know what? Jesus said some things that I don't like, but if that's what a follower of Jesus looks like, okay, I kind of dig it. If that's what Jesus' teaching looks like in action, I can go with that. 
Paul is saying here, the way to reach people with the gospel, it's not rocket science. It's not try to make it into rocket science. It's not complicated. It's actually quite simple. Just care about them. Care about them and be wise. And then point number three, he says, speak up. Speak up. See, care. You live wise and you speak up. And this is where we want to stop, isn't it? Like we like the other two points. Like the other two points I like, you know, I should care. We think that, right? I'm convicted. I really should care. I should start praying that prayer. And I want to be wise because that has its benefits for me. But this, though, eh, this is the point that we want to stop at. But this is the whole point that Paul brings the whole thought to. In fact, this is how he finishes up his whole thought. He says, so that all of this, so that you may know how to answer each person. There's this conversation going. You care so that you know how and when and where to speak up. And you live wisely so that your words carry weight when you do speak up. All for this point, so that you speak up. But the temptation is to stop before this. And so what we'll try to do is we'll be like, okay, we're going to care for the lost, you know, when I remember, when I'm convicted, or when my church does this little campaign, I'll try to care for the lost, and we'll work at living godly lives, but then we never really do anything with that. We never really leverage those opportunities that God gives us. In so doing, what happens is we usher people to the gates of hell. And I know that sounds strong, but when you think about it, when we love people, when we care for people, when we live these salted lives of wisdom and tact, but never articulate the gospel, we literally walk with people and love people and then drop them off at the gates of hell. This is what it all boils down to. Having conversations that matter. I mean, you think about it, this is what Jesus is known for, wasn't it? Talking about things that actually mattered. Our, our world is so, like, exhausted from small talk, isn't it? We're, we're exhausted. I mean, small talk is, like, is, is all anyone ever does anymore. It's just, like, whining about work and politics and sports and weather and then whining more about work. It's just exhausting. And deep down, we're all walking around craving to have a conversation that actually matters. So have one. This was always on the mind of Jesus, having an intentional, meaningful conversation. He does this with the woman at the well. He does this with Nicodemus. He does this with Pilate. We could go on and on and on through all of his, all of his disciples. And people latched on because they, they crave it. Care. Care for them. Live wise. And have a conversation. So who's your one? Who's your one? I mean, God has placed dozens of people in your life specifically for you to do this with. But for this next couple of weeks, we're going to take a bite-sized chunk together and we're going to pick one. Just one. Who is that for you? We're bringing this to something special. August 28th, and if you have your phones, you might even want to mark that in your calendars to make sure you're here on August 28th, that, that whole weekend. It's in two weeks. Uh, we're going to go all out as a church. We're going, to, we're going to try to pack this place up with our, with our ones. We're going to bathe August 28th in prayer because, God willing, these seats will be filled with many people who, have, who are far from God. And we're going to clearly present the gospel. I've been meeting with Jansen and, and Hayden, just talking through the service already for, for that weekend. We're all doing this together. We're inviting together. But then we're also going to be here on August 28th to serve, to connect, and to contribute to something that has eternal significance. It's in two weeks that we're cashing all of our chips and we're making all of our invites. But first, it starts with commitment. It's interesting. If you, if you read throughout Scripture, usually when God's people set out to really do something, they, they make a commitment. They get together and they first make a commitment together. A promise to God and a promise to each other to keep each other accountable. 
It's a very special thing in Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do together. As a community of God's people, we're committing together to that one, that one person. Might be a coworker, might be a friend, might be a neighbor, might be a family member, but one person that we're just going to be more intentional with, more intentional than we've ever been, daily praying for them and asking God to give us opportunities and, and words to say. One person that we're going to have more meaningful conversations with. One person that we're inviting. So August 28th, as we're doing this together and, and with each other and for each other, our volunteers will be ready to greet and to connect. Our bridge kids will be ready to have a blast with all of the new kids. In fact, we're actually going to take all these who's your one down because it'll be really weird when you show up with your friend. And they're like, oh, so I'm your one. That's super awkward. So we're not going to have... We're not going to have any of that up here, so don't worry about that. But we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And I, I, I want you to come with. I want you to come with. This going to be a special weekend for our ones. And we're going to be praying for, for big things, for stories. I was sitting with a guy on my patio. He's, he's become a friend of mine. In fact, you've seen a, his, his testimony video um, before. His name's Francisco. Francisco... Uh, a year ago today, was, he was a Satanist, very deep into the occult and Satanism. And um, just one person, just ask, just hang out, go to lunch and talk, hear about what's going on in his life. And all they did was just say, I was following Jesus and you should give it a shot. That's really all they really did. And he, he said, I, I just needed that. He jumped into scripture and now he's like serving like mad here at our church. He, I hang out with him on uh, every Monday night. He's at my house and we just... We, great conversation with this guy who's, who's now a, a follower of Jesus. And it's so cool to see what God has done in his life in less than a year. But it all started with one person saying, I'm just going to find that one person and I'm going to go hang out with them. And we're just going to have a meaningful conversation. So who's your one? That's what the, the so what is for this weekend. Just who's your one? Who's the face, the name that God is bringing to mind? And maybe you're thinking, like, no way. But God's saying, come on, this is why you're here. This, this is your one. This is where the story begins to change, right here. Who's your one? It was Charles Peace, a notorious murderer who terrorized Great Britain. He's an outspoken atheist. He was caught, and he was led to the gallows be put to death. As he was led to the gallows, a chaplain walked beside him, pleading with him to accept Jesus. In fact, the chaplain kept on telling him about hell. Turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus, because this is where you would end up. Charles, fitted with the rope, looked at the chaplain and said, Sir, if I believed what you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees to save one soul from that eternal hell. Those were his last words. Haunting, yet convicting for us. If I really believed what you believed in an eternal hell, I would crawl the country on broken glass just to save one soul. What are we willing to do? See, thankfully, we don't have to crawl on broken glass. But we do have to have that sense of urgency because it's one soul, one, one name, one face.
Who is it for you? Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.